Thanks for tuning in to Revolutionary Lumpen Radio. In this episode, I'm extremely pleased to be speaking with Caleb Morpin. Unfortunately, Ryan wasn't joined with us because of um, error in communication. And this is the shortest episode yet, but it's short and sweet. We get a lot out of Caleb. He's extremely intelligent. I'm really impressed with him. I love speaking to him. So we discuss this concept on the synthetic left, Malthusianism. We go into the xenophobia that's been going about lately, and yeah, hope you enjoy. It's not that some people are just too dumb to understand it. I mean, that's complete nonsense, right? It can be taught to anyone. Uh, it is intuitive to some degree, and it's not like an intelligence thing. And, you know, we had some placards, one of them, which said the pre-factual point that Zionism is racism. You know, it's not just a moral stand, it's a political stand. What you're talking about is the role that Israel plays securing the interests of US and British imperialism in the Middle East. And it would be talking about Iraq or Afghanistan or something. Today, where I am, and I like understand these conflicts that have literally been going on since I was born. It's just like horrifying. It's not. It's not British culture. It's just the world's culture. They love stories. They love this idea that there is this nation that looks like this. I think it's a distraction from the class struggle, to be honest. Thank you very much for joining us, Caleb. I am an admirer of your work, so it's a pleasure to be speaking to you as we go into the synthetic left, and I'm sure many of the issues will be discussed. So as always, have a bit of an introduction, there's listeners who maybe hadn't heard of you, so if we could just go into your background a little bit, I think I will start off with a little funny story of mine. I actually applied to be a reporter for Russia Today, you're a reporter for Russia Today, are you not? I sent them an email that said, yes, I would very much like to be a reporter. I'm out here in the streets. I'm surrounded by goddamn crime, poverty. I need a better life. Get me out of this goddamn concrete jungle. And he never, ever got back to me. But you are... (laughs) Yeah, thanks. But uh, you are a reporter for Russia Today. You have political accolades (laughs) that far outweigh mine. I believe that once you were in high school, you filmed a mugging, was it? Something like that. An injustice, and you actually helped get two people out of jail, did you? Well, I was in college at the time. um, And in Cleveland, there was a walkout at Collinwood High School, which is a mainly African-American high school in Cleveland. And I saw on Facebook, me and my roommate saw on Facebook that they were having a walkout against teacher layoffs. It was in 2010. So I attended the walkout and the police of the school actually chained the doors shut. And so only five or six students got out the door of the school. And that's a hugely illegal. That's a fire hazard. You cannot chain the doors of the school shut. Unbelievable uh, to keep the students from walking out, Um, you know, and then these five students got out and we then saw the police and I filmed the police brutally arresting two young women. Uh, just brutally arresting them. And of course, in the United States, when, you know, the police violently arrest you, they then charge you with assault on an officer to cover themselves. Uh, So they tried to charge one of the young women with assault on a police officer. But luckily, my video was key evidence in court and she was acquitted. And that was kind of the first time I became kind of the center of attention in Cleveland. The media tried to make it sound like I had organized the walkout, like I was, you know, the evil communist who had, you know, (laughs) staged the whole thing and gotten these young 
young women in trouble for my own ends. But then the, the mother of the young girls uh, gave an interview to Cleveland Scene magazine and said that is not what happened at all. And in fact, thank goodness Caleb was there, because if not, uh, when these police brutalized my daughters, no one would have filmed it. When I was profiled in Cleveland Scene magazine as kind of a local, they called me the communist next door. Um, and that was kind of the first time I became kind of a public figure. I started doing like radio interviews and stuff. I moved to New York City the next year. I was part of the Occupy Wall Street protests. I've been to the Middle East a number of times. Um, you know, I've been to Latin America. I've traveled extensively through Latin America. Uh, I was part of building protests against the bombing of Syria. You know, I was an activist for a long time. Now I'm primarily a writer and a journalist. I don't organize demonstrations. I'm not campaigning for anybody or trying to register people to vote or anything like that. I'm primarily involved in spreading the truth in a world of lies. So, uh, yeah, that's primarily what I do. I do a lot of writing. You know, I have a book coming up on the synthetic left. It'll be out soon. Uh, but I'm currently working. You know, I, I currently have a book available called City Builders and Vandals in Our Age, which is an attempt to reexamine Marxism because Marxism is in kind of an ideological crisis. The fall of the Soviet Union and, you know, the, the triumph of synthetic leftism, the kind of the, the hegemony that synthetic left and distortion, you know, distorted leftist politics has, has caused yeah. a lot of confusion. So I wrote the book City Builders and Vandals to try and give give some direction to the Marxist movement in our time. And it's gotten a huge reception. So many people have read it um, and given it positive reviews and told me it changed how they understood things. So, you know, I have a community on YouTube. We do YouTube lives all the time where hundreds of people engage with me and argue with me and talk with me about Marxism. Um, I'm trying to, you know, you know, revive basic class consciousness. Uh, the slogan I've tried to popularize is, we need a government of action to fight for working families. And we absolutely do need that. So that's where I'm at. That's who I am. Boss, you're, so you're a comrade of both practice and theory. Totally love what you do, Caleb. I'm going to have to check your book out. I'll definitely get your book. I'll also link to that in the show notes. I'm looking forward to your book on the synthetic left. Can we just go into your concept of the synthetic left? It's something that's been picked up on a lot in leftist circles, people identifying different groups of different individuals from the synthetic left, which you've identified at this phenomenon, which has an actual historical basis. Well, what I refer to as the synthetic left really began in the 1950s during the beginning of the Cold War, when the U.S. government began covertly supporting leftist writers and artists and intellectuals in the hopes of pulling left-wing people and pulling scientists and painters and literary critics and all kinds of people away from Marxism-Leninism and away from aligning with the Soviet Union. And that that was a project for covert manipulation of leftist politics, and it has been highly successful. And what started out really as an attempt to carry out damage control by the leaders of, of the U.S. government and by the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency ended up completely reworking and reinventing leftist politics, so much so that today, much of what passes for leftism is actually quite right-wing, quite destructive, and quite contrary to what the Soviet Union believed in, quite contrary to Marxism, quite contrary to the notion of historical progress and everything that it meant to be a leftist prior to this distortion. But why would the CIA do something like this? Well, in every society, no matter where you go in the world, you're going to have what you can call a revolutionary intelligentsia. And that's people generally from the middle class, generally youth and intellectuals who don't fit in with society, that are very outraged about injustice and want to change the world. And communism 
emerged from that milieu. You know, Karl Marx was part of the left Hegelians, a group of young people inspired by the French Revolution, felt like, like, despite the fact that feudalism had been overturned, there was still widespread injustice in the world at that time. And they were exploring why that, that was. Lenin and Trotsky spent a long time in Vienna and in London among these, these kind of cafe culture intellectual milieus. That's generally where communists originate. Che Guevara spent a lot of time in these circles, as did Mao Zedong in China among the intellectuals of, of China's capital and universities. And that that's where revolutionary and Marxist politics tends to start. However, it's not that group of people that make a revolution. Revolutions are made by the broad masses of people in their millions. It's the millions of people, you know, working class people, the overwhelming majority of people being fed up with their condition. They're the ones that actually make a revolution. So because of that, you know, there's this contradiction. And essentially what the CIA did was attempt to funnel money into the revolutionary intelligentsia, fund their projects, fund their intellectuals, fund certain voices within that milieu to make sure that it was never really capable of organizing the broad masses of people and to essentially transform it into a, uh, a bludgeon with which to attack the existing socialist and anti-imperialist states at the time. Uh, that was essentially what it was. It was an effort to manipulate the revolutionary intelligentsia for their own ends. Yeah, really messed up because the capitalists want to keep the power so they're going to just do what they always do, divide and conquer. That's basically what it is. But on your video where you actually first start talking about the synthetic left, I find it quite funny. I find a lot of your videos funny. I think your sense of humour does come across because these are serious issues. It's good to see somebody get so fired up over it as yourself. It's clearly a genuine passion and disgust that... This is what the government is doing to its own people. So I totally appreciate, and again, I get to sit back and chuckle at your expense, your frustration over all of this propaganda. But you know what? I created a sub called Late Age Imperialism. It's gotten like half big. It's like 24,000 members. I've seen every single post, comment, interaction on that sub. I've seen it all. But what I'm seeing lately is a lot of xenophobia, anti-CPC, anti-Communist Party of China rhetoric, you know, all this genocide myths that have come up and get debunked like every other week. Do you think that this is something the synthetic left is drawn to or attracted to? Or is that a different kind of scenario? Oh, absolutely. Now, you know, I, I let me back up and say that the basis of the beginning of what I could call the synthetic left is really a CIA program called the Congress for Cultural Freedom. And you can Google that. The CIA brags about it on their own website. It's one of their most successful operations, the Congress for Cultural Freedom. And that was, you know, in the 1950s. And around that time in the 1950s, the CIA began covertly supporting religious and mystical groups in Asia. And John Foster Dulles, the founder of the CIA, actually said that this was a strategy because they said the religions of the East, as he called them, uh, create a bond between, between anti-communists in Asia and Americans. And that there began to be covert funding of mystical Eastern religions. And that was to be used against the Chinese Communist Party. The Chinese Communist Party, even still today, is associated with you know science, uh, dialectical materialism, modernity, modernization. So covertly, the U.S. government began supporting. Uh, first, you know there was the Tibet Civil War, in which uh, the U.S. government airdropped thousands of 
monks and Tibetan Buddhist fighters into the mountains of Tibet to burn hospitals and execute literacy volunteers who were teaching Tibetans to read, to burn down healthcare clinics, to do horrendous things, you know, and began covertly kind of supporting the cult of the Dalai Lama. But now uh, the Falun Gong is one of the particularly uh, supported anti-China extremist groups. Uh, This is a mystical religious movement from China that believes you have a magical wheel in your stomach. And if you do the right exercises, when you die, you will go to heaven. The founder of the Falun Gong has fled from China. He lives here in New York City. He's got a very expensive house in Queens. Uh, He's quite wealthy. And the group is particularly right wing. I mean, that's the, the wild thing is, you know, we often hear that, you know, the Chinese government is homophobic or the Chinese government is not respecting the rights of women. Well, the Falun Gong cults, which they created the Epoch Times newspaper, one of the main anti-China propaganda newspapers in the United States. The Falun Gong cult, which has been covertly supported by the U.S. government against China, they say that one of the main signs that China is in decay and in what they call a Dharma ending period is because women vote. They don't want women to vote. Uh, They call for the public execution of homosexuals. Um, This group is extremely right wing, reactionary conservative, sees feudalism in China as the ideal, sees the Chinese Communist Party as bad, not because it's allegedly violating human rights, but instead because it has modernized China and gotten it away from these feudal traditions, which they admire. But that's who the U.S. government is covertly supporting. And what's wild is this fits a trend because, you know, in the lead up to the Second World War, you know, in, in Europe, you had, you know, most people were Christian, right? That was, that was the state religion of most countries was Christianity. And it was the far left that were into, you know, materialism and atheism and dialectical materialism. And it was the right wing that were really into paganism and the occult. Uh, one of the key thinkers of the far right is Julius Evola. He was promoted by the fascist government of Italy. Uh, he believed in primitivism and he believed that uh, humanity had gotten away from the, the noble traditions of the past. And it was Nazis and fascists who admired paganism and the occult. You'll notice that Hitler sent his, uh, sent his uh, followers, his SS, uh, to Tibet to measure the skulls of ancient Tibetans. And You read the writings of Hitler, you read the writings of Mussolini, they're in awe of the primitive feudal societies of the East because there's no strikes, there's no protests, there's no peasant uprisings, there's no rebellions. That's like the fascist ideal. But starting with CIA manipulation of leftism, at the same time, the U.S. government starts covertly funding things like the Tibetan separatist movement of Tibetan feudalists, things like the Hare Krishna movement in India that's an anti-communist Hindu sect. At the same time the CIA starts promoting them, the left wing of the United States starts embracing these movements. Now, in Hollywood, they all love the Dalai Lama. Richard Gere, Sean Penn, that crowd, they all love the Dalai Lama. They think he's a man of peace. They love Tibetan separatism. The Falun Gong has a big following in Hollywood. Uh, The Hare Krishna movement and a lot of these mystical gurus that were extremely anti-communist in India suddenly became popular and were appearing at anti-Vietnam War protests. And part of the process of distorting left-wing politics was putting kind of an admiration for Eastern cults and mysticism into left-wing circles and moving them away from wanting to modernize and develop the world, which is, that's the struggle against imperialism. Imperialism holds back economic development in, in, in impoverished countries around the world. Moving away from that and moving toward this idea of kind of cultural relativism and admiration for some of the most reactionary sects in Asia that the imperialists have propped up against anti-imperialism. 
God damn, Caleb, you're so full of information. How do you fit all that in your head? Never mind, like spit it out so accurately. So you're talking about these certain group, the CIA, and and now the support. You also tell people go and search this. It takes you to a CIA.gov website. If they're willing to do that, they're also willing to do a multitude of, of other things. This anti-China thing, that's basically the same thing going on, just a different operation. And you know, it's important, Caleb. I don't know what what your reason is behind mentioning it but to me i'm sure that we're on the same page anyway the reason is to get not just a class consciousness it's all well and good if people know that there's a bourgeoisie a ruling class a working class a lump and you know conversation is the same thing if we're just talking about small things that the cia have or have not supported we're never going to get anywhere and i think that that's the whole point it's finding things that are worthy of of conversation and and things that should just be ignored so at the moment people your advice on this china thing is largely to ignore it if you're on the side where you want to condemn china and call china an imperialist like you've got better things to talk about i'm sure it's not benefiting no but yeah interesting caleb i know that we're pushing on time but could you just could you just talk more about the synthetic left? How would you identify it? Well, the words left and right as political designations go back to the French Revolution. At the French National Assembly, that was the body they formed after overthrowing the king, there were two sides of the room. The people that were more loyal to the king and feudalism sat on the right, And the people who sat on the left were the more radical and revolutionary forces that wanted to march into the future. And that's where the designations of left and right come into being, right? And it's it's basically about historical progress. If you're a progressive, you're on the left. You want to move forward. If you're on the right, you want to keep things as they are, or you want to move backward, you're a reactionary. That's what left and right mean. However, now in left-wing circles, there is an increasing belief that historical progress is bad, that we have moved too far, that humanity is using too many resources, there are too many people in the world, I've heard that lie so much, and that we need to reduce the human population, technology is bad, we need to go back to nature, we should be examining these kind of primitive groups around the developing world that haven't you know, adopted technology, and that kind of view is reactionary. Right. I mean, that is a reactionary view, but it passes for left in a lot of circles. There's kind of an admiration for all things primitive. And it takes away from the understanding of imperialism, because if you read Lenin's book, Imperialism, the Highest Stage of Capitalism, it's about economics. Imperialism is about keeping the world poor and underdeveloped so that Wall Street and London can stay rich. Um, It's about beating down the economies of developing countries keeping them poor and impoverished so that a small group of billionaires and bankers based in the Western countries can make super profits and no competitors emerge. That's what imperialism is. But the synthetic left, with a lot of grant money that's been handed out to a lot of professors and a lot of ideological confusion, suddenly imperialism is about about imposing modernity. And you almost have a revival of the concept that comes out of Jean-Jacques Rousseau, where he talks about noble savages. And it's kind of this admiration for all things that are primitive. Whereas the governments, I mean, if, if you look at the way imperialism is functioning right now, who does it target? It targets the governments that tend to be 
the most modernizing in the developing world. The Syrian Arab Republic is a country that has religious freedom. Uh, it has elections. It has multiple parties. It has trade unions and its factories. It has a legal communist party. That's who the United States wants to overthrow. Meanwhile, the United States is propping up the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, a country that has no elections. It's an absolute monarchy that still cuts off people's heads. Just a few years ago, they changed the law so that women were allowed to drive cars. But yet a number of the women who protested for the right to drive cars are, are actually in prison facing possible execution even still. So, you know, the United States goes around the world propping up the most reactionary forces while attacking the most progressive forces. You know, Iraq was far more progressive than Saudi Arabia, than Kuwait, than Jordan, than many of the U.S.-aligned regimes in the Middle East. Iran is far more progressive than the U.S.-aligned oil autocracies in the Middle East. But you can, you can go back further. You know, in the 1980s, in Nicaragua, there was the Sandinista government, a Marxist Christian government that came to power, was aligned with Cuba, was teaching people to read, was trying to industrialize the country. So the CIA began funding indigenous groups to take up arms against the Sandinistas. And there were, you know, the majority of the population in Nicaragua are indigenous by heritage. However, they found certain religious sects among the indigenous communities in Nicaragua who didn't believe in electricity. They didn't believe in technology. were still living a very primitive existence. They gave them guns and weapons to fight the Sandinistas. And furthermore, they even worked with the indigenous activist groups of the United States and covertly sent Russell Means, the leader of the American Indian movement, to Nicaragua to make propaganda claiming that the Sandinistas were oppressing indigenous people, were bringing in technology. The Sandinistas were Western European Marxists imposing their Western European ideology on these beautiful indigenous people with their indigenous traditions. And it was very, very effective. And Russell Means, the leader of the American Indian movement, somebody who had worked with the Black Panthers in the 1960s and 70s, was associated with fighting heroically for the indigenous people's rights, suddenly became a tool of the CIA and the synthetic left to make propaganda against the Sandinistas. It's the same way they're using a lot of these very religious Muslims who hate the Syrian government. Uh, it's the same kind of thing, right? It's, you know, these people have their beautiful, primitive ways. They're opposed to modernity. It's, it's a, a weird flipping of the script, and it, it plays into this rewriting of the concept of imperialism, where imperialism is no longer an economic question. It's suddenly a question about preserving indigenous cultures. Now, that's not to say, I mean, we all know that Christianity was imposed on millions of people at the barrel of a gun. That was wrong. Uh, we know that there's a huge amount of Islamophobia right now and hysterical hatred for Muslims being whipped up around the, the United States and in Britain and other places. That's wrong, obviously. We don't ever want to support, you know, any kind of, you know, cultural chauvinism or, or European supremacism or anything like that. But by taking the narrative away from the economics of imperialism and making it about, quote unquote, cultural imperialism, they create a vehicle where leftists can be utilized to bring down governments that are raising people out of poverty. And that's what the Chinese government is doing around the world. It's raising people out of poverty. Joe Biden wrote a letter to the Council on Foreign Relations, to Foreign Affairs magazine, explaining what he would do if he defeated Donald Trump. And he specifically said that one thing he would do if he defeated Donald Trump was that he would stop China from building power plants in developing countries um, because what? it's a threat to global warming. Unbelievable. What is wrong with helping people in Africa have power plants and electricity so they can open their own businesses, so they can have an economy, so they can rise up out of poverty? 
What's wrong with that? Well, it's wrong if you have a Malthusian perspective. If you think that human beings are a cancer on Mother Earth, if you believe in the ideology of Robert Malthus, Malthusianism, the concept of overpopulation, yes, you would think it's a crime for China to build power plants. But if you're a Marxist and you have dialectical materialism and you understand economics, you would want people to be raised up out of poverty. This is what the synthetic left has done. Wow, boss answer. Thank you for that, Caleb. But what's this Malthusianism people are talking about a lot lately, but I have no idea what it means. What's that? Well, in Britain, at the time of the French Revolution, there was an economist named Robert Malthus. And he wrote a book basically saying that the French Revolution and the Reign of Terror had happened because there were too many people in France. He argued that the food supply doesn't catch up with population growth and that that the cause of the French Revolution, it wasn't that the peasantry was oppressed by feudalism. It wasn't that the people wanted their freedom. It wasn't that the feudal system was outmoded. It was simply there were just too many people. That France, they'd had too many babies. They, they, the population had grown too fast. And there were too many, quote unquote, useless eaters. Uh, and because of that, uh, you know, there had to be this awful calamity, this French Revolution in which all kinds of people died. And that was the analysis that was put forward. And uh, this, this portrayal of the French Revolution as if it was just a great humanitarian catastrophe. And Marx, Karl Marx, wrote a refutation of Robert Malthus' work. His book, Theories of Surplus Value, picks apart the economic theories that Robert Malthus puts forward. Robert Malthus was basically, uh, he was a hired gun economist. Uh, he wrote this book to attack the French Revolution. He wrote another book, uh, you know, justifying the predatory rents and behaviors of landlords. And Karl Marx exposes him in his book, Theories of Surplus Value, for just being a shill economist uh, who wrote justifications for what the ruling class of Britain wanted to hear. But Robert Malthus' ideas were picked up. I mean, they didn't die in the 1800s. The Rockefeller family, they're the family that started Standard Oil, John D. Rockefeller, that's now ExxonMobil. They are strong adherents of Malthusian ideology, this belief that there are too many people in the world. Uh, they ran something called the Malthusian Society for a long time. Um, and, and, you know, many people in the United States believe in, believed in birth control because they believed in women's rights. However, the Rockefeller family believed in birth control uh, because they believed there were too many people in the world. And they actually hired a socialist, a woman by the name of Margaret Sanger, who had been a, a communist and a socialist in New York City. But Margaret Sanger went to Soviet Russia. Uh, she saw that Soviet Russia didn't have the level of sexual freedom that she believed in. So she abandoned her belief in communism and she got hired by the Rockefellers. And she began promoting the cause of birth control in the United States. And the Rockefeller family funded her to go around the United States urging for birth control to be legalized, not, not simply to give more rights to women. I think that was Margaret Sanger's primary concern, as she believed in women's rights. But she made racist arguments. Uh, she spoke at Ku Klux Klan events, saying that you know, birth control would be good because it would cause black people to stop reproducing. She spoke at all kinds of events. She argued for economic austerity and cuts in welfare. And she basically argued that, yes, we should stop feeding low-income people. We shouldn't have the government provide jobs and education to people because then they'll breed and there's just too many people in the world. And Margaret Sanger signed on with this reactionary ideology of Malthusianism, which Karl Marx has thoroughly ripped to shreds. Why? Because Malthusianism operates on the assumption that human technology is frozen, that human technology cannot advance, right? 
uh, there was a book published in the 1970s. It was called The Limits to Growth. It was published by a think tank in Europe called the Club of Rome. And it was a Malthusian book arguing that we were going to run out of oil uh, by the mid-1990s if we didn't reduce the human population. We had to end consumption. And the thing is, that book would be correct, that we would have run out of oil by the mid-1990s if, if human beings hadn't invented deep-sea drilling and hydraulic fracking and all kinds of other mechanisms of getting oil, mm. right? And that, that this Malthusian thinking assumes that human beings are not creators, that human beings can't invent things, that human beings can't develop higher modes of production. And we clearly have. That's the entire history of the last 5,000 years of human civilization has been human beings brilliantly going from burning wood to burning coal and now to burning petroleum. And now we're on the brink of getting beyond fossil fuels. China is funding all kinds of research into fusion energy. That's why they launched a rover, a satellite to go to the far side of the moon to acquire helium-3 a rare earth element that can be used to develop a higher mode of creating energy and electricity, you know, uh, in, with fusion energy. And, you know, the fossil fuel crowd, the Rockefellers, the Carnegie's, the DuPont's, the old money families in the United States associated with New England, tied in with Britain, uh, they don't want humanity to get beyond fossil fuels. They basically declared that because of the fact uh, that global warming is a catastrophe, which it absolutely is, global warming is a reality. But because of global warming, human progress must end. Countries all over the world must stay poor. Uh, we can't have people rising out of poverty. We have to transition the first world to a lower level of consumption, i.e. a higher rate of poverty, a, a lower level of economic existence, a lower living standard, all in the name of stopping global warming. But China has it the other way around. They say that you know climate change can be solved with human progress. We need to invent and mobilize to develop higher and more efficient fuel sources. And on top of that, we can't have an economy that functions simply according to what's in the short-term interests of capitalists. We need the banks, factories, and industries to be organized rationally so that we plan out economic growth in a sustainable long-term way. Only a socialist government can do that. You need central planning to overcome the economic problems and solve our environmental issues. No question about it. There are big environmental concerns but you need socialism to resolve them. But this notion that the way to resolve them is to end human progress, to go backward, to drive down living standards, this is a very, very poisonous, poisonous idea. But you see it quite widespread in anarchist circles. There's this weird admiration for primitivism, this belief we can go back to hunter-gatherer civilization, uh, we can get rid of technology. This is all very, very right-wing and destructive. This is not the ideology of Karl Marx. This is the ideology of the Unabomber. Right. Ted Kaczynski, a mass murderer here in the United States, went around killing people, hoping to go back to primitive civilization. That's psychotic. That's insanity. It's dangerous. The only reason you would think that way is you would assume that Wall Street and London have to stay on top of the world. They don't. Another world is possible with socialism. Human progress can advance. Yeah. So if there's any doubt out there, if capitalism is not innovation. The state is meant to exist as the state. Not much changes. There isn't progress. There's no development. There's literally patents. There's copyrights. There's intellectual property to make sure that other people can't improve the same things that other people are producing on a mass scale and just to be wasting and thrown into the ocean using this energy that we're talking about. You know, this oil that is running out. But there is, of course, a multitude of other energy sources out there i am a big fan of thorium 
I'm definitely on board with like nuclear fusion. Thanks for bringing that up, Caleb. Energy, that's really interesting to me. Talking about anarchists and, and, and this kind of primitivism, I can completely get people wanting to go back to that kind of lifestyle. But, you know, as Mark said, you can't go back to the spinning wheels. We've said it before, you can't go back on, on, on yourself. These technologies are there. We may as well use it. It exists. And, you, you know, that future's there. We're, we're planning it. In fact, I want that to be the premise for this episode, that it's not people arguing over distinct opinions on foreign nations in which they've never even been to in their lives. We want to actually talk about what the future could be using actual common sense, really. In fact, it's not common sense, but it should be. But obviously, that's what we're doing here. We're trying to spread this class consciousness. What we're talking here is the truth. Yeah, thank you so much, Caleb. I will let you go. Sure. Can you just let our listeners know where they can find you, your YouTube, Twitter, anything like that that you want to plug in, where people sure. can find you? I'm on YouTube at Caleb Maupin, C-A-L-E-B-M-A-U-P-I-N. That's my channel. My website is CalebMaupin.com, C-A-L-E-B-M-A-U-P-I-N.com. Yeah, I mean, that's where I'm at. So follow me on Twitter, Facebook, uh, you name it. I recently started TikToking a little bit. I don't have much on there, but some of my fans have been having a field day with TikTok. TikTok. <laughs> You know, and I love that, you know, and there's a discord. I mean, there's like two rival discord servers of my fans who don't get along with each other. I understand. I think is is amusing. Right. I mean, (laughs) not all my fans. They like they can agree on liking me. They can't agree on liking each other. And, you know, I I engage with people. I will debate white supremacists. I don't agree with them at all. I think that, that their their belief is awful, but they need to be debated because their ideas are growing right now. And part of the reason their ideas are growing is because of synthetic leftism. And because there is this, you know, confusion where leftism has moved away from fighting for working people and instead serves this kind of Malthusian agenda. So, you know, I mean, I I will engage with people. I've debated Trotskyites before. I've debated anarchists. I have a good friend, anarchist Brenton Langle. We do a lot of lives together. You know, we're building a community around real progressive socialist ideas, the ideas that built the labor movement, the ideas that that uh, that that, you know, the Soviet Union used to defeat the Nazis during the Second World War. The ideas that raised millions of people out of poverty in China. Marxism is the future, you know, and it, it requires, you know, you know, it requires a reexamination. And I hope to be part of the efforts to do that in our time. You definitely already are, Caleb. Give yourself a pat on the back from me. Yeah, we've got a, well, I, I've got an interview coming up with a fascist. I wonder what kind of slack I'm going to get from the left-wing community sure. there. But, you know, like as you said, it's definitely important to show that we, we shouldn't just be screaming at each other in the streets at protests. We can definitely can have conversations and understand one another because it's, we need each other. It's, it's as simple as that. I mean, as you say, that this is all set up so we're arguing against each other. Doing great stuff, Caleb. People will definitely check it out. Check out all the debates that you've had with with Vosh and you know Destiny. And so good, so good. Yeah, I love you and leave you. Thank you so much for your time, Caleb. It's been very interesting. Now I mean, where do niggas go when we die? Don't have it for a thug nigga. That's why we go to thug mansion. That's the only place where thugs get it free and you gotta be a G. <laughs>
DJ's show to die Was it the liquor that makes me act blind? Times got him with her Anonymous pictures of other niggas trying to kiss her Will I love her or shall I diss her? I'm sick of this scandalous shit I deal with Trying to paint a perfect picture My memories of jealousy no longer get free Cause so much bullshit your girlfriends keep telling me I'm on tour but now my bedroom's an open door So it got me thinking what am I trying for? When I was young I was so very dumb Eager to please a little trick on a mission Trying to get him a piece Me and my niggas is thug niggas forming no drug dealers We don't love bitches and believe they don't love niggas I gotta claim my attraction But you became a distraction A threat to my paper stacking I thought you changed but now I know Can't turn a hoe into a housewife baby, baby. Can't stop, gotta eat Stepping on my feet Spread love, stinky, sweet Uh, 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 but well, you cast don't know This is you and we sure burn together Watch the flames climb high into the night Calling out Father, oh, stand by and we will Watch the flames burn over and over the mountainside high And if we should die tonight, we should all die together Raise a glass of wine for the last time. Cold enough, Father. Oh, prepare as we will. Watch the flames burn over and over the mountainside. Desolation comes upon the sky. Now I see fire inside the mountain. I see fire burning the trees. I see fire. A nigga never been as broke as me. I like that. When I was young, I had two pair of leads. Besides that, the pinstripes and the gray. Uh -huh. The one I wore on Mondays and Wednesdays. Uh -huh. While niggas flirt, I'm slowing tigers on my shirt and alligators. Uh -huh. You wanna see the inside? Huh? I see you later. They come the drama. Oh, that's that nigga with the fake. Uh -huh. Wow, why you punch me in my face? Stay in your place. Play your position. Uh -huh. They come my intuition. Uh -huh. Go in this nigga pocket. Rob him while his friends watch it. That hoes clocking. Uh -huh. Here comes respect. His crew's your crew. Or they might be next. Look at them in eye. Big man, they never try, so we roll with them, uh, stole with them. I mean loyalty. Niggas bought me milks at lunch. The milks with chocolate, the cookies, or the crunch. I'll be Surely I'll do the same. Come find in mountain holes. We got too close to the flame. Calling out father, oh, hold fast and we will watch the flames burn all and all the mountainside. Desolation comes upon the sky Now I see fire Inside the mountain I see fire Uh, uh, uh. 
Stone. 